see it in the movies and the paper and the TV news. Somebody's army is always on the move. There's gonna be a battle, the lines have been drawn, they got guns and tanks and planes. The wells are gone dry and the water is bad and the air is acid rain. Hello, welcome to Reports from Under the Desk. Hope you guys like our new introduction. I love it. Uh, James and Lee Carruthers put that together for me. We were talking about it. You know, I love that Johnny Cash song. And um, and they made that for me. And I'm so appreciative because it it really reflects what I wanted it to show that we live in pretty precarious times. right? OK, so today, you know, the title of this is reports uh, reports from under the desk, a blood sacrifice system in the American economy. So I've got some interesting things to bring to you today. Um, my report was so long that I'm only, you'll see me kind of looking because I've got to read my other screen to bring to you what I wanted to bring, but, and it might be a little lengthy. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at it. It's quite a few pages. If it gets too lengthy, I'll break it into part one and part two. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so let me start with a disclaimer. If you want to go broke, come to me for financial advice. <laughs> I have no financial advice to give anyone and nothing that I say should be construed as financial advice in any sense of the word, right? There's my disclaimer. I am, I'm not here to give you financial advice. What I do want to do is bring up some um, interesting things that I've come across. And I've listened to a lot of interviews um, of what's going on from the experts. And I've uh, transcribed part of that conversation. And um, I want to bring some things to you that have really caught my attention. So first, though, before I delve into that part, I want to give just a little bit of um, uh, history. Okay. Um, so let me start here. I had written this out quite a while ago when I had studied the history. And so I'm going to share to you what I had written out for myself. So I was watching an old movie recently, Runaway Jury, and I was considering the times that we live in and the times I've always existed in. The money system and legal systems have really been manipulated in such a way that it's almost impossible for the average citizen to know what is the right way to handle these matters. You get a job, you participate in the employer savings plan, the retirement plan, and you and you believe and are told that somehow your money's supposed to be invested by that company um, in a way that will cause it to grow and benefit you in your retirement years, right? They have some kind of a fund and it's handled by, you know, investment bankers and they do it on behalf of the company and everybody's supposed to be secure. And, and it's all because of the way the varied amounts of which stocks are in this fund that that is supposed to guarantee, make it foolproof, right? That it, it can't fail, okay? 
the average person doesn't truly understand the ins and the outs of how that happens, right? However, they do expect it to be there in their retirement years. And this system has seemed to work for the majority of Americans for many years. But is the system going to continue to work? Okay. Now, I wanted to just bring up one scripture here. Daniel 2, chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. It says, and he changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him, right? We're dealing with some very dark areas right now, but Yah knows what's in that darkness. And he reveals these things, these deep and secret things to those people that are his. And I'm hoping that we get some revelation from this today. Okay. So I wanted to just start with a little bit of, of history. There is a YouTube video out called All Wars Are Bankers Wars. It's by Michael Rivero. I'll make myself a note to try to link that. Once I get done with this, I'm going to have a ton of links that I'm going to go back and add into the description for the YouTube video. And hopefully then we can transfer those over to uh, the Brighteon and the Rumble so that you guys will have these links so you can go back and look things up for yourself. But uh, I just made a, a link to, to put that one because it's well worth watching, right? Okay, so it's called All Wars or Bankers Wars. <clears throat> and I've made some notes from when I watched it. It said, so many wars, uh, the purpose was to force private central banks onto nations that did not want them. The Currency Act of King George started the Revolutionary War. This introduced a radically different currency system. The government issued its own value-based currency so that private banks couldn't skim the wealth of the people through interest-bearing banknotes. Robert Longley, the Currency Act of 1764. Okay, this is what I'm reading from. Um, the Currency Act, I'll try to link that in there too. Let me make myself a note. Link. All right. So the Currency Act of 1764 was the second and most impactful of two laws passed by the British government during the reign of King George III that attempted to take total control of the monetary systems of all 13 colonies of British America. Parliament had always envisioned that its American colonies should use a monetary system similar, if not identical, to the British system of hard currency based on the pound sterling, feeling that it would be too hard for it to regulate colonial paper money. Parliament chose to simply declare it worthless instead. The colonies felt devastated by this and protested angrily against the act already suffering a deep trade deficit with Great Britain, right? Everything was in their favor. Um, colonial merchants feared the lack of their own hard capital would make the situation even more desperate, okay? So they came and wanted freedom from that system, 
You know, they were tired of their money being stolen by the authorities. Okay. And so now here comes this other currency act enforced on them, forcing them to abandon their own currency and use this British pound sterling. All right. So this was part of the causes of the American Revolution. The Currency Act exasperated tensions between the colonies and Great Britain and is considered to be one of the many grievances that led to the American Revolution and the Declaration of Independence. So the private bankers knew how easy it is to corrupt a nation's leaders. And the War of 1812 brought us back as a nation under the thumb of the bankers of England. Okay, this is what happens over and over when evil authorities are in control. And I believe that most of them are puppets being manipulated by the fallen watchers at this point. I believe it's been going on for quite a while. I believe that's why we've seen the, you know, the rapid industrialization and technology increase is, you know, we're just at that time period, just like living in the days of Noah right? That, that things are increasing exponentially every day as, as we, you know, go through living on this planet. So, all right. So it brought that the war of 1812 brought us back as a nation under the thumb of the bankers of England. Andrew Jackson ran for president with a campaign slogan, Jackson and no bank, right? He blocked the charter for renewal of the second bank of America. And here is a quote from Andrew Jackson. Gentlemen, I too have been a close observer of the doings of the Bank of the United States. I've had men watching you for a long time and am convinced that you have used the funds of the bank to speculate in the breadstuffs of this country. When you won, you divided the profits amongst you. And when you lost, you charged it to the bank, right? That's charging it to the people. <laughs> you tell me that if I that if I take the deposits from the bank and annul its charter, I shall ruin 10,000 families. That may well be true, gentlemen, but that is your sin. Should I let you go on, you will ruin 50,000 families. And that would be my sin. You are a den of vipers and thieves. I have determined to rout you out. And by our eternal, I will rout you out. Okay. So that brought us to the Civil War. We've been told that the war was over slavery. The Confederacy succeeded from the U.S. The bankers offered their assistance to President Lincoln. They offered to fund his efforts to bring the South back into the Union at 30% interest. Lincoln remarked he would not free the Black man to enslave the white man to the bankers. He then issued a new government currency called the Greenback. This was a direct threat to the wealth and power of the central bankers. Russia came to Lincoln's aid because they had also had a struggle to not be enslaved by the central banks. I believe that that's still part of what's going on with the resistance of Russia. They're, they're not playing the game, right? All right. Lincoln won the war without the assistance of the bankers and kept the greenback in place. 
the London Times printed the following in response to Lincoln's rejection of the London banker's help. Okay, here's the quote from the London Times. If this mischievous financial policy, which has its origins in North America, shall become indurated down to a fixture, then the government will furnish its own money without cost. It will pay off debts and be without debt. It will have all the money necessary to carry on its commerce. It will become prosperous without precedent in the history of the world. The brains and wealth of all countries will go to North America. That country must be destroyed or it will destroy every monarchy on the globe. I found this wild that they were willing to print that much truth of what it was behind that. We can't allow them to be free, you know, because it'll destroy our monarchy, our rulership. The people won't be under our thumb. They'll be a free people, a free nation, right? And they literally printed it. Oh, thank you, Tammy. Tammy says, this is such great information. Thank you, Shell. I really appreciate that, Tammy. Um, hi, Jennifer. Good to see you today, too. I'm so glad everybody's here. Sherry, Judy, Rin, um, James and Lee. I love you guys. I'm glad y'all are here with me. Alrighty. So after that quote, now I'm going back to my notes. So, and just like that, President Lincoln was assassinated right? That was the end of his presidency because he was, he was, you know, insistent that we should be free, that we should be free of London's control. And then he was done away with. Okay. The greenbacks were pulled and America was forced back into the banking system, the, the coming out of London, which I really believe stems from the Vatican. When we, when we trace all this and it stems further than that, it stems back to ancient Canaan. And I can't wait to share that a little later in this report with you. I have some astounding information to share with you. All right. So in 1913, Jekyll Island, the Federal Reserve is created. And what a deceptive name. There's nothing federal about them. They are a private banking entity. It just gave them the illusion of having a federal status to get the people of America to accept it more easily. This happened under the presidency of Woodrow Wilson, and he obviously regretted it later. Here's a statement he said, I am a most unhappy man. I have unwittingly ruined my country. A great industrial nation is now controlled by its system of credit. We are no longer a government by free opinion, no longer a government by conviction, and the vote of the majority, but a government by the opinion of duress of a small group of dominant men. He's talking about the Illuminati, right? Enter World War I, and this is when the stock market came in, into being. It is legalized gambling, okay? You know, it, it is. When you look at it, that is all that it is. People don't understand what they're giving their money into. All right, so I had entitled this 
and I, I'm having to look over at my other screen. So forgive me that I'm looking away and reading to you, but I had 27 pages. I wasn't going to print it all. And I have certain things at certain times. I want to share my screen to show you some things. Okay. So just forgive me looking away. I'm here with you. All right. So I had entitled this a blood sacrifice system and the American economy. Deception has become commonplace because it's around us all the time. We're in abject slavery. We have been fooled, tricked, duped, deceived, and faked out. Uh, in Jasher, I was looking at a, at a statement that said, how did Yasharel go from, you know, it ends in Jasher, you know, Jasher, the book ends with us taking the promised land right? And going in and taking it. And how did it go from a ruling authority? You know, by the time David's kingdom was in place and Solomon's kingdom was in place, we were the world, Yasharel, you know, was the worldwide rulers, the, the world power, right? And so how did we go from that ruling authority to becoming enslaved again, just as enslaved as they were in Egypt is what we are today. We are in every, in every bit, the same amount of slavery, right? So there is nothing new under the sun. So I came across on YouTube and I will put the links to this. There's actual several. Um, the late Rob Skiba had had an interview with a pastor named Tim Bentz. And it was very interesting. So I'm going to, I transcribed, you know, kind of part of it. it. It's still my words. It's not word for word, right? But I'm going to put the link so you can hear it word for word. But this is what I got out of it. This is my interpretation. So Tim Bentz has an interview with the late uh, Rob Skiba, in which he explains that he had been directed by Yah to visit Jekyll Island. I'm picking up the interview during the portion that Tim Bentz visits with the director of the museum on the island. Okay, so he's explaining what happened to him to Rob Skiba in this interview, right? And, and this is what happened to Tim Bentz. Okay, he had gone to Jekyll Island and he, he feels like he is on a commission from Yaw. He's directed by Yaw to go there, right? And he really has no idea why is what he's explaining in his story. And through a series of events, he ends up with uh, having the director of the museum of Jekyll Island at his um, disposal for the day to ask him questions, to just kind of go on this journey led by the Ruach to, to uncover what Yah wants him to see. It was really an interesting interview. Okay, so he's he's visiting with the director on the island. They begin to discuss what was known as the local Indians who had lived there prior to the cultivation of the island into what it has become today. Okay, that is the official history is that it was a tribe of American Indians. Okay, but listen to what he finds out. The history is that basically all of the original construction of the Indian village was wiped out. And the Jekyll Island Club was just built right on top of it, okay? As they are examining artifacts and a very unusual double bow is in sight in the museum. It's not consistent with American Indian bows from other artifacts 
that Tim Benz is obviously very familiar with. Okay. You can tell that as he's talking, he knows what he's talking about with this stuff. Okay. So Tim asks the director about it and is told, actually, there's a lot of very unusual artifacts that have been found that are not consistent with any other American Indian tribe that artifacts that have ever been found. Okay. Then he was shown um, an, it, the Indian burial site. Let me see where I was. Okay. He's, he's aware the bones had been left where they were. Okay. They, they, they knew this mound apparently on Jekyll Island was an Indian burial site. So they, they uncovered the top layer of dirt and they put plexiglass over it so you could see the bones, but they did not disturb the bones, right? So it was just to preserve the history. This is how it was done, right? So as they go to look at them, you know, they would, it, it is verified by this museum director that these people would have been eight, nine foot in, in tall, okay? This is also not consistent with an American Indian tribe or with humanity in general, right? We're not normally nine foot tall, okay? <laughs> All right, this is not a normal height for Native American tribes. Tim Bentz is then shown a copy of a painting of the Indians that the museum owns. The original is kept under lock and key. And there is a story that the French colonists that landed in the area were so appalled by what they saw, like when when they when the colonists first came over, okay, they landed in Jekyll Island. They were a French colonist. They landed there, and what they observed going on with this Indian tribe appalled them and frightened them so much that they got back on their boat and they fled and went to Saint Augustine instead. And that's how Saint Augustine became established, right? So Tim Bentz then describes the painting. He talks about the regalia that he sees in it, the fire, the dancing around it, and states that they are either having a party or having a war scene. Weapons that validate the time frame are in it. Then he sees an altar in the painting and states he has never seen an Indian tribe have something like this. Instead of totem poles, it had a stone altar that looked a whole lot, a, a whole lot like one he had dealt with in the Middle East. Okay. In the picture, the guy is holding babies at the stone altar in his hand. The guide says, yeah, they are hacking those babies up in that painting. The details show two shaman chiefs holding the babies up by the ankles and they are whacking their heads off and spilling the blood on this altar. I know, horrible, right? So after a discussion about historical comparisons of who the tribe may be, Tim Benz asked the museum director to take him to where the altar might have been. He's told he can take him to the altar, but he can't see it because Rockefeller built a house on top of it. It has been clarified as a blood sacrifice altar. They take a walk to the house 
and the museum director has the keys to the house. It's like one of those paid tours things, you know, um, that people do. Uh, I know like in my local area, the old town of Salem has this and you can pay a certain fee at the museum and then a tour takes you through all the houses and things are set up, you know, exact and replicas of, of how they thought it was at the, at the time. Right. Okay. So they take a walk to the house. The museum director has the keys. So they go into the parlor and, and the director tells Mr. Bentz that he's now standing directly on top of the altar. So Rob Skiba at this point in the interview clarifies at this point that the parlor is actually where J.P. Morgan and all the other bankers met to bring forth the Federal Reserve. This is where it was planned and the laws to cover it uh, was conceived and they put to paper what became the Federal Reserve Act. This is what our money system is founded upon. It was literally built on every bill that we have, every Federal Reserve note that we have was literally planned and executed and brought forth on top of a Canaan blood sacrifice Nephilim altar. Okay, this is exactly where it's coming from. Can we think for a moment that Yah's going to allow this to stand, that, that he's not going to wipe it out. It's exactly what this is. This is, this is what Sherry's saying, wicked spirits in high places. Exactly. This is exactly what we're dealing with. And Yah's not going to let this stuff stand, right? Very interesting. I was astounded by this. And I, I, I will put the links in so you can, guys can hear the entire interview yourself because it was really amazing. And I'm just, you know, giving you a portion of what happened because I, I this was kind of the, the crux of it for me. Okay. So I was thinking about, you know, what's on the money system. I, this report may seem a little choppy because I'm just I'm I'm just kind of reviewing with you guys things that have come across my plate lately. What I've been thinking about. Okay, so I'll just add this to the screen. Let me show James a comment first here. I've heard that many churches have been built on top of these altars. You know, it's really interesting when you look at um, Steve Quayle and Timothy Alberino's reports. They have some amazing reports that they did. You can locate those on Vimeo and um, and get them. You can also, I think, buy the DVDs probably from Steve Quayle's site. But they did some amazing things where they really go into and and every time um they've they've talked with the locals and every time a mound like this and the bones and the artifacts were found that the vatican literally had those ushered in to uh the church and you never saw those artifacts again there's a lot of hidden history i believe okay let me add this to the screen for a minute so i was just thinking about this so it, you know Forgive me if it seems a little choppy. Hopefully it'll all make sense in the end, right? So I was thinking about the money and the images that are put on it. And David's coin had a menorah on it, right? Um, the closest thing I can find 
in pictures was this let's rebuild the third temple version right <laughs> okay so so this is kind of what we've got right now of course when you know trump came in and and i love it that here they've got the menorah they've got the 12 tribes you know i'm hoping that you know this is and and the letter the uh hebrew letters for uh yasharel right there I'm hoping that this is more of what, you know, David had in mind. Let me get rid of this part. Oh, sorry. I'm messing that up. Put it in full screen mode. Okay, there we go. So um, when I was looking at that, you know, I was thinking about, well, what was it when Yahusha came in and overthrew the money changers, right? There, um, so I wanted to read you a little bit of this. The archaeologist in the old city at Jerusalem, and I'm just going to stop sharing the screen because it's too small for me to read there and I'm going to be better to read it here. All right. Archaeologists in the old city of Jerusalem have discovered a rare silver coin that is believed to have been used to pay the temple tax during King Herod's reign. The coin known as the Tyre Shekel, okay? And the Tyre Shekel, when you compare it, and I'm going to show you a picture, has the picture of Baal on it, okay? <laughs> That's what it was. It's the picture of Baal. Right. So this is what was used during the time when Yahusha threw over the tables of the money changers and drove them out with whips. Right. Because right in Yah's temple, they were bringing in the image of Baal. OK, this is what was behind him wanting to drive them out with whips. OK, it wasn't just money. It wasn't just that people were, but it had Baal's face on it. It was an image. It was an idol. Okay. All right. So archaeologists in the old city of, of Jerusalem have discovered a rare silver coin that is believed to have been used to pay the temple tax during King Herod's reign. The coin also known as the Tyre Shekel. And this, and, and, okay. And this is the really important part. The temple tax required every male for every male um a half a half shekel and this is what was on this shekel was this image so this was being in the people were forced to use this medium of exchange okay uh, uh, can you imagine <laughs> to pay the temple tax right can you imagine how y'all felt about that so the, the coin, also known as the tire shekel, was found inside a box of artifacts during a conservation project at the Tower of David Museum. The box had previously been discovered during the last conservation project in the 1980s, but was later lost until its recent rediscovery. In an interview with CBN News, Elliot Lieber, the director of the museum, explained that the rare coin's discovery provides further evidence for the historical authenticity of the accounts of Jesus talking to the money changers. We know from the Gospels that Jesus visited Jerusalem, and we know that he talked to the money changers, Lieber explained. 
So here we have the evidence, the archaeological evidence to the historical sources. As stated in the four gospels, Jesus cleansed the temple as he accused the merchants and money changers of turning it into a den of thieves or a house of trade. The Tower of David, which is an ancient citadel located near the Jaffa Gate entrance in Old Jerusalem, also features Herod's Palace, where Jesus' trail apparently a uh, trial apparently took place. According to historians and theology, theologians, she noted the recent discovery of the tire shekel connects the past, present, and future of the Tower of David. You can see how the past, the present, and the future are actually here at the Tower of David. During the work for the future of the Citadel, we have found the evidence from the past, and we can actually know more about our identity, Lieber said. Christians can see how the sources, the Gospels, are coming alive here in Jerusalem. Okay, so when we look, at, I, I've got a little more history to share with you that I, you know, pulled up from different, you know, Wikipedia and other sources and put together uh, that I wanted to share with you on Baal. Okay, um, apparently how this goes and every wicked, uh, you know, like when you see the gods, the Elohims, the, you know, the Titans, the, as it migrated through history, it all leads back to the same place. It all leads back to the gods of Canaan, you know, first the gods of Canaan, then we find them in Egypt, name different things. Then we find them in Greek. Then we find them in Rome. Then we find them today in DC Marvel comics, right? I mean, it, nothing new is under the sun. It migrates all the way. And if you look around right now at the Halloween decorations that are going up, it is so obvious that we are dealing with the return of the Nephilim. Look at the Super Bowl um, halftime shows that have been done lately. Like the last one was all about the return of the Nephilim. The one before that was all about changing your uh, DNA, right? To include that Nephilim DNA in your DNA through a, a medical procedure, right? And so we saw that. Now, here's just a little thing of looking at Baal, who they also called El. And so the story goes that El um, uh, mated with, let me see if I've got it in here. Hopefully I've got it in here. Um, mated with uh, Astarte, you know, uh, Asherah, who became Astarte. And they had Baal as a son. Well, then El was gotten rid of and Baal mates with his mom and then comes everybody else, right? That's the, that's the story, okay? So let me just read you some of this. Baal El, Lord El, protector of the universe, is the leading deity and is frequently only referred to as Baal, Lord. That's what they call him, Lord. And this is, I mean, I know a lot of people watch that don't understand why I love saying the name Yahweh because Lord, I mean, I don't want to give, I know my creator's name, right? I can see it written in the Hebrew and, and I can sound it out for myself because I know what those letters sound like. So I can sound that out. And why should I give him a title that's also given to Baal or to a 
Lord Simberton or something over in England. Why would I do that when I know his name? I'm not going to call him that, right? And so that's why I I like using Yah's name, right? There's power in the name and it's not Lord. Okay, so anyway, um, Lord L, protector of the universe, is the leading deity and is frequently only referred to as Baal, Lord. He is the God, little g, most actively worshipped in Canaan and Phoenicia. He is the storm god, source of rainstorms, but also spring mist and summer dew. He's considered responsible for the growth of vegetation and for the maintenance of life. However, he is not a crop or vegetation god, little g. He is considered a forceful god and frequently shown striding forth, carrying a mace and spear or a lightning bolt, right? Who does that? Zeus, right? He migrated into Zeus. So we see that and sometimes transforms himself into a bull. What's right out in front of Wall Street, right? He was the son of Dagon. He embodies royal power, but could be influenced by evil. He continually fights for order versus chaos. I don't think so. <laughs> Against the god Yom, right? Which is the sea god, which is the mass. It's always represented in, in scripture as the ma uh, restless masses of humanity that flow wherever, right? <laughs> okay. Um, let me see where I was. He's also called the rider of the clouds, the master of the earth, the thunder. Baal El resides on Mount Zephon, north of Ugarit. Okay, so I believe, you know, that's all over in that Iran, Iraq area right there. The Greeks considered Baal to be Zeus, the Egyptians, Osiris or Amam. The Hebrews considered Baal as the chief god of the Canaanites. However, it's not clear if Baal is actually a specific god or just an abbreviated form of a, of a more complete name. As Baal translates as Lord and could be used in front of the names of kings as well as of gods, <laughs> little g, and therefore maybe should always be followed with the specific Lord, i.e. Baal L, protector of the universe, Baal Melkart, which would be the Lord of Tyre, okay, and that's what we saw on the shekel, the coin, which I'm about to show you, um, Baal Shem, Lord of Heaven, Baal Rose. Okay, I'm not going to go through all those. Okay, it should be noted that the Jews refer to God in the Hebrew Bible as Elo, Eloheinu, or Elohim. These are all considered forms of El. Okay, well, we know we're not worshiping Baal. <laughs> okay, so there was a coin that I found. It's called the Coin of El Gabala, Astarte Temple with the altar group, the coin of the altar group, the civic uh, issue with the head of Astarte. So let me go ahead and share my screen with you so you can kind of see. See here, we're seeing it, right? So Astarte is the chief female de deity of Tyre and is sometimes known as Balat or Dear Lady. She was the daughter of Aranos and was called the Queen of Heaven and the Mother of Earth. She was identified with the moon and reigned over the whole land. She's sometimes called the Mother of Melkart. The cult statues of Astarte take many forms and were left as votive offerings at shrines and sanctuaries as prayers for a good harvest for children and for protection and tranquility in the home. Now, this one below, this is the temple tax 
coin, the half shekel of Jerusalem, the Tyre Mint of 18, 19 AD. You know, this is what Yahusha was confronting right there, right? Very interesting. Here's another representation of this. The silver corn of Datames was used at 385-362 BCE with the god Baal Tars on a throne, seated left, torsos facing, holding grapes, the granier and an eagle in the right hand, the scepter in the left hand, surrounded by the city walls. Right. So the census system is what required that half shekel required for every man. This makes sense as to why Yahusha threw over the tables in the temple. Okay, so that was what I had wanted to share with you guys about that. In fact, here we'll look at the scriptures to it. It says in John chapter 2, 13 through 16, and the Pesach of Yahweh, which the Yahudim observed was at hand, and Yahushua went up to Yerushalayim and found in the temple those that sold auction and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, a whip, right? He drove them all out of the temple in the sheep and the auction and poured out the changers money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise, right? I, you know, really, really interesting there. All right. I'm going to look at some um, comments here. Um, so going back uh, yes, welcome Oliver and Betty. Good to have you guys with us. And um, yep, I'd seen that one. Okay, about the blood sacrifices and the usury that Ren was talking about. Um, I want to show this from Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. She said, Shalom, it has never stopped. They hid it and incorporated it into our society. The rich can hide who they are. They still do the sacrifices to this day. I agree with you, Jennifer. It's going on right under our nose and people are oblivious to what is happening. But Yah sees in the darkness and he sees and he is in the business, I believe, of, of exposing and bringing down, you know. And then Wren is saying, Mary, that Roman Catholics worship, that is exactly right when that's, it, it just migrated, right? It just took on different names, hidden in plain sight. Oh, thank you, buddy. She's saying good stuff and good sharing. I appreciate that. I appreciate everybody being here with me. All right. So I'm going to go on um, about some other articles that I have read recently. So this is, um, I wanted to show you this. Let me see if I can bring this up. Give me a moment. It might come up on the wrong screen. Okay. So let me see if I can share this with you guys. This is called um, a hundred year historical chart. Okay. On the stock market. All right. So hopefully you guys can see this good. So we can see, you know, kind of when it was incorporated here, right? And, and we see this, this level, April 1915, right? Here we go. We've got the Federal Reserve in place, and now we've got their, our gambling system, 
right? To fool everyone and that the rich can get richer. And so right away, it stalks on up here by May of 1916. And then it's going up and down. 1921, we've got a pretty big crash in it, right? But then it skyrockets, which would have been for that time to the moon. Here we are at April 1929. So you can see here's the roaring 20s. You know, it, it, I've heard when you read different things, you know, it was talking about the cab drivers giving stock tips, right? Everybody was going to get rich from this, right? And then what happens? It is crashed. And what happens? The rich got richer. I believe that they do this on purpose so that they can take advantage. They just, they get everybody else to put their money in it. They crash it down so that they get all the money, right? And then they give you, build your hopes back in and let's do it again. I believe it, it from what I was looking at from here, 1929 till our next kind of top over here, we've got 1965, 19, you know, right, right in there, you know, so we've got kind of a, let me see, you know, 29 to the sixties, what that's a good 40 year period or so, right? Y'all often uses 40 year periods to test us. Then what happens? We crash again. We get down here to 1982, crashed right back down to almost the beginning level of where we started at, right? So they took it down pretty pretty far right there, uh, 2,461. Well, then we start the upward climb again, right? And so we get to the year of, of 2000, okay? So we're, we're up there, Bush is in office, um, and we've got this stock market on up here, right? And then we see some ups and downs and then we get the crash of 2008, right? And then we come up and and it's gone pretty much out of the stratosphere since then. Now, the reports that, that I am hearing from many is that this time when it crashes, we're, we're expecting, I was listening to an Aaron Brickman report yesterday and he's expecting... Uh, us to end up about here, about a 70% reduction. You know, can you imagine it going back down to this level? You know, I, it could go further. It could go away entirely. Who knows? But I, I wanted to share that screen with you. All right. Let me go back to where I was. So, I and like I said, I'll put these... Um, these links so you guys can see it yourself. I just find this really interesting. So then there was a, a report on, it said the stock market strategist says the coming recession could be the biggest effort. And I recommend prayer. And this was an article on market watch and, and I'll link it for you, but I did transcribe part of it so that um, you guys can, I could read it to you. Okay. So this is an article from October the 8th, and it says, I'm about as bearish as I've been since 2008, says uh, Hedge Eyes Keith McCullough. He's steering investors to cash gold and other defensive plays. So here is the transcribing of the article. The Market Watch interviewer says, in a Market Watch interview last April, you said, the Fed always screws up. 
and predicted a bear market for U.S. stocks in the summer. That happened. What do you expect now from the Fed? Learn from its mistakes or make more? McCullough replies, recession today is what transitory inflation was a year ago. The Fed is as wrong on recession risk as they were on inflation. I'm about as bearish as I've been since 2008. Instead of the economy having a soft landing, I think the landing is going to be hard. The recessionary economic data keeps getting worse, not just in the U.S., but in Europe as well. Free money forever created behavioral problems. It sure did, didn't it? And a behavioral bubble for the markets and investors. You believe you'll have unlimited access to easy money and your behavior, your and your behavior, whether you're building profitless growth companies through storytelling or cryptocurrencies that are also just stories. You're coming from the mother of all behavioral bubbles that will that now will be addressed with tighter money. When you're printing money and the economy is accelerating to the fastest growth rate ever, you're going to have the mother of all bubbles. Now GDP is going to slow to zero and you get the opposite. You know, there's no way to me that I can't look at what's happened with the, you know, the the war uh, rhetoric going on, the war in Ukraine, the, you know, what's happening between nations, the broken supply chains, the broken um, pipelines, broken energy, broken food systems. It's, it's all broken. It's obvious to me that we're coming to the mother of all crashes. It's not going to continue. Of course, remember my disclaimer, I am not a financial analyst. I'm just sharing what I see in some of these stocks and giving you my opinion for what it's worth, right? All right, let me show Betty's, uh, see here, she's got Revelation 6.6, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, a measure of wheat for a dinar and three measures of barley for a dinaris, and see you not hurt the oil and the wine. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Betty. What a, that, that is an on-target scripture for exactly what we're dealing with. Okay. So then uh, here is more of the interview from uh, McCullough's April 2022 interview with Market Watch. And it was entitled, The Fed Always Screws Up. This forecaster sees U.S. stocks in a bear market by summer. So Market Watch, a hard landing for the economy and an economic environment echoing the 2008 financial crisis is a pretty damning verdict. You're not in the perma bear camp with some forecasters. So what you are seeing now to have such a, what are you seeing now to have such a pessimistic outlook? McCullough says, on a lot of levels, it's worse now than in 2008. If 2008 was, was about Wall Street collapsing on itself, on all its conflicts of interest and lies, this one is more about Main Street. Main Street is broke. He's talking about us, right? The the blue collar, the the workers, the you know, the homeowners, the the normal everyday people, right? Main Street is broke. Main Street is taking all this inflation into their cost of living. 
Main Street has the highest credit card interest going back to the 1990s. It's way worse than 2008 on that basis. If you're trying to pay your bills with credit, it's getting worse and worse. And then they're going to lose their jobs. Labor's collapsing is always the last thing to go down. Okay. We're right on the cusp of the labor cycle going the wrong way. When the rate of economic change is accelerating and the Fed is printing money, you buy anything that's got a good chart and a good story. You're going to make a lot of money until the music stops. And it did. Now we're seeing the opposite. The rate of change of real GDP, gross domestic product, all right? The GDP growth and inflation are slowing at the same time. You can't own inflation, commodities, or growth now. If you're still long pretend growth or profitless growth or crypto, I recommend prayer. He's saying, if you think that you've got a long strategy, that if you just hang in there, he said, you're you're fooling yourself, you know, because that's what they always say. They always say when you listen to the mainstream media, they always say when the stock market dips, oh, buy the dip, buy the dip. You know, that's your strategy. You've got to have a long term strategy in stocks. Right. That's a buying opportunity. That's always what they say. And so McCullough saying, if you're believing that at this point, you're believing that crypto is going to save you. You're believing that you can buy the dip. He said, I recommend that you start praying. <laughs> That's what he's saying. This is wild to me because I, you know, I worked in banking for a short time in my life. And, you know, what, and I actually worked in it in 2008, 2009, 2007 to 2009. It was the window that y'all wanted me to see what he wanted me to see. I traded my own stocks only so that I could learn about it because I wanted to understand the system, right? So it, rather than having mine go to the company and allow them to do it for me, I took control of it myself so that I could understand it. And I was in a cor big corporate office of a, of a humongous bank. So I had had corporate bankers and wealth managers all around me. And I, I asked lots of questions right? that I just took it as a learning opportunity. And so, yeah, it, that's, it's a mess. I can see it's a mess, right? Okay. So I, what I was going to say is I've never heard bankers talk like this all across the board. Financial experts are coming out and they're suddenly finding God. <laughs> they're suddenly recommending prayer. It's everywhere you look. People are really nervous. They can see that this isn't going to last. I can hear it in their reports and I hope you can hear it too. So I have another one that I wanted to share with you. This was on, uh, came out October 15th of 2022. It's entitled, The American Consumer is Getting Shellacked while the debt markets get trampled. It was put out by allnewspipeline.com. Um, it's by M.N. Gordon of the Economic Prism, okay? And it's called, he put a thing in there, there's, there's going to be hell to pay, right? Anyone, and here's the article, anyone with half a brain knew there would be hell to pay for locking down the economy and simultaneously printing and spewing out trillions of dollars of confetti money. The bill has finally come due. Did you say, see the latest consumer price index report? According to the government bean counters, consumer price inflation, as measured by the CPI, increased in, in September at an annual rate of 8.2%. 
While this is down slightly from several months ago, the year-over-year -year increase in prices is still near a 40-year high. Stock market investors celebrated the news like mindless idiots on Thursday after the CPI report was released. This was last week. Okay. On Thursday, after the CPI report was released, the S&P 500 rallied more than 2.5%. Perhaps stock market investors were elated the CPI wasn't even higher. More important than the stock market is the debt market. Following the CPI release, Treasury yields spiked up. Bond investors know what's coming. Specifically, more rate hikes from the Federal Reserve. They sold accordingly. Because as interest rates rise, bond prices fall. This inverse relationship, which has been in existence since financial markets were invented, okay, so since the beginning of the stock market, is wrecking havoc on debt investors. The value of the paper they're holding is vaporizing in their hands. What to do? The logical thing to do is to sell and sell first before the value falls even more. Thus, a selling momentum takes over, driving rates higher and bonds lower. At the moment, fund managers, these are fund managers. That's what these funds are. They're made up of stocks, right? Okay, so fund managers and bankers are making a mad dash for the exit. At the same time, they're anticipating more bailouts to paper over their blunders. It's a dangerous time for your money and investments. If you're not attentive, you could get trampled. You see what's going on, don't you? Decades of artificially low interest rates suppressed by central bankers have turned insurers, bankers, pension fund managers, and finance ministers and treasury secretaries into desperate gamblers. For several decades, the table had been tilted to lower and lower rates. The tables have now turned. Okay. So, I mean, this is what he, I mean, literally he's saying they're just gambling this. I mean, this is what it's been all along, but they, they are, it's crazy. It's chaotic. None of them know what's going to happen. Right. Okay. Except for the ones on the top. <laughs> And they think they do, but y'all always has his own uh, surprises intact. Okay, so here is uh, another article that I wanted to share with you. It's called How to Re Resist CBDCs, Five Ways You Can Opt Out of This Dystopian Future. It's uh, done by uh, internationalman.com. The author is Nick Guillaume Bruno, and there was no date on this article, but it came up in my feed very recently. So I'm imagining it is a recent article because it came up recently in my news feed. All right. There's an excellent chance governments worldwide will soon force their citizens to use central bank digital currencies. Okay. This is, I believe 100%. This is what's coming, right? CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, enable all sorts of horrible totalitarian things. They allow governments to track and control every penny you earn, save, and spend. They are a powerful tool for politicians to confiscate and redistribute wealth as they see fit. 
CBDCs will make it possible for central banks to impose deeply negative interest rates, which are really just a euphemism for tax, for a tax on saving money. They don't want you to have saved money. <laughs> All right. Governments could program these CBDCs to have an expiration date, like some airline frequent flyer miles, forcing people to spend them, for example, before the end of the month when they become worthless. CBDCs will enable devious social engineering by allowing governments to punish and reward people in ways they previously couldn't. Suppose governments impose lockdowns again for flu season, so-called climate change, or whatever pretext they find convenient. CBDCs could be programmed to only work in a geographic area. For example, your payments could be denied if you travel more than a mile from your home during a lockdown. Suppose the people in charge want to encourage people to take a pharmaceutical product. With CBDCs, they could easily deposit money into the accounts of those who complied and deduct it from those who didn't. Undoubtedly, CBDCs will be paired with a sort of social credit system. Such a system is already in place in China today. In the West, it's likely to come in a different flavor. Perhaps CBDCs will be paired with an ESG score. Did you commit a thought crime on social media? Or perhaps you read too many politically incorrect articles online. Did you exceed your monthly meat consumption allowance? Then expect some financial punishment thanks to the CBDCs. CBDCs are without a doubt an instrument of enslavement. They represent a quantum leap backward in human freedom. Unfortunately, they're coming soon. Governments will probably mandate CBDCs as a solution when the next real or contrived crisis hits, which is likely not far off. That's the bad news. The good news is that the CBDCs are actually destined to fail. <laughs> Despite all the hype, CBDCs are nothing but the same fiat currency scam on steroids. It's doubtful CBDCs can save otherwise fundamentally unsound currencies, as I believe all fiat currencies are. If the current fiat system is not viable, then CBDCs are even less viable as they engage the government to engage in even more currency debasement. Would a CBDC have saved the Zimbabwe dollar, the Venezuelan Bolivar, the Argentine peso, or the Lebanese lira? I don't think so. And a CBDC won't save the US dollar or the euro either. But that doesn't mean governments won't try implementing CBDCs with immensely destructive consequences for many people. So while I believe CBDCs will inevitably self-destruct, nobody knows how long it will take for that to happen. Communism was also destined to self-destruct but it took generations. I don't think it will take nearly that long for CBDCs to fail, but that's just my guess. Therefore, the big question everyone should be asking is this, what will you do when the government forces everyone to use these CBDCs? 
I believe it's incumbent on free individuals to reject CBDCs. It will be challenging, but the reward, maintaining your sovereignty, will be priceless. Okay. Then he's got in here a, a quote. It's important to remember the wise words of Ron Paul. When none of them, politicians, will admit is what none of them, the politicians, will admit is that the market is more powerful than the central bankers and all the economic planners put together. Although it may take time, the market always wins. Well, I don't know about that because, you know, when I look at it, um, what I see, remember, we were just discussing Baal's head on the coin. Well, look at our bills. I mean, we've got the pyramid of Egypt. We, I, there's so much symbology in that. And hopefully is ideal, you know, I'm really delving into some um, things from Canaan, so, you know, the things, the symbology, and I hope to do a lot more like kind of history things to, to bring some of this out. Okay. So this article goes on, no matter what edicts, decrees, or laws that politicians pass, they will never be able to fully extinguish the desire of people to use alternatives to CBDCs. That cracks the door open to other options. For example, consider that Venezuela, Zimbabwe, Argentina, Lebanon, and many other countries restrict the use of U.S. dollars today. However, all that does is create a thriving black market, or more accurately, a free market for U.S. dollars in a parallel financial system. We may see that in barter, right? We can expect the same kind of dynamic if governments impose CBDCs. I have no doubt significant parallel systems and underground markets will naturally emerge. Now, I had one more thing that I wanted to share, and this was um, an article uh, on uh, by Greg Hunter on USA, uh, U.S a watchdog.com. Um, he interviewed Catherine Austin Fitz. She's the publisher of the Solari Report. I absolutely love her website and the things she puts out. She is a very, very interesting woman. She was the former assistant secretary of housing during the Bush uh, uh, 41 administration. Um, and she says what is coming for the economy is pain and lots of it. Catherine Austin Fitz explains, we are either in a major correction or we are going to go into a bear market. And a lot of it depends on many different politics. If you look at the money being pumped out on climate change, on green energy, on environment, and on all these different new sorts of scams, it depends on how they inject the money. It's either a major correction or it could turn into a bear market. There's no way to tell because it's purely political. Various Fed presidents are repeatedly saying the central bank's going to continue raising interest rates. Why? Catherine Austin Fitz says, I think they are going to keep raising interest rates. If you are the Federal Reserve, you are playing a global game. And what you have to do is protect the reserve currency status. It looks like to me they've decided that all the uh, Bank of International Settlements members need to be in the dollar channel. They are, they are doing everything they can to collapse the market share of the euro and then move that into the dollar syndicate. I think they have to keep driving the dollar up. The U.S. dollar index is up to 113, and at one point it was at 114. One analyst said it was going to go to 120. They have the entire frontier market and the emerging markets in a bear trap. 
And that is a very significant power. I think that it's interesting that she's using like the bear trap. When we look into the scriptures and see who is always represented uh, of the bear, you know, we see Russia and, and Russia's resistance, right, to, to this central banking system. It's, it's very interesting to me sometimes. I think uh, Brad Scott was right. Words mean things, right? Okay, so let me get back to reading this. All right. So they have the entire front-end market and the emergent markets in a bear trap. And that is a very significant power. If you are going to go into the woods and shoot the bear, you can't wound the bear. You have to kill the bear. So I think the Fed is going to keep doing this for some time now. They don't mind, as you learn from the pandemic, collapsing the small business side of the economy or collapsing the middle class. They are implementing the going direct reset. They are doing a currency reset. What you are looking at is a fundamental re-engineering of the governance system on planet Earth. Okay? On planet Earth. That's what she's saying. All right. Most of the benefits in the dollar system come from the benefits of having the reserve currency. That's the only thing that gives us our sway and power in this country, right? All right, continuing with what she said. So most of the benefits uh, in the dollar system come from the benefits of having the reserve currency and being able to swap money you print out of thin air for real labor and real commodities worldwide. That's an enormous benefit, and they are going to protect that benefit. If they don't protect that benefit, they run the risk of everybody moving out of the channel. This is what the Chinese and Russians are trying to do. They are trying to move out of the dollar channel and trying to create economic resiliency and trade outside of the channel. What the Fed is trying to do and the dollar syndicate is trying to do is protect that channel. It's a global government re-engineering. It's 100% power politics and it's war. In short, the Fed will defend the dollar and the world reserve currency status no matter how hard the stock market crashes, no matter how much the economy crashes, no matter how much the bond market crashes, and no matter how much the housing market crashes. In closing, Catherine Austin Fitz says, stop helping them. Don't bank at the big banks. Use cash whenever you can and pray. This is the first and this is first and foremost a spiritual war and prayer is the best navigation tool possible. With this level of uncertainty and change, there's no way there is enough experts to help you and enough time to listen to them all. You have to focus on what is important. You have to decide, are you here to be free or are you here to be a slave? There's no more middle of the road. There are two sides. One leads to freedom and one leads to slavery. You have to choose. Yeah. And, and that was um, quite an interview that she, that she gave. Now, there was a scripture that was put on my heart and I'm going to share the screen as I was, as I was reviewing this and thinking about this and praying about all that information, I was like, yeah, I just want to hear from you and what you have to share. And this is what he gave me. And, and I hope it makes sense to you. 
And after that, I share the scriptures. That'll be that'll be the end of it today. All right. So it was out of Second Baruch 13. It says, and it came to pass after these things that I, Baruch, was standing upon, upon Mount Zion, and lo, a voice came from the height and said to me, stand upon your feet, Baruch, and hear the word of El Elohim, because you've been astonished at what has befallen Zion. You shall therefore be assuredly preserved to the consummation of the times that you may be for a testimony, right? I really feel that way. I have been myself astonished at what has been happening in our time, at what has befallen Yah's people and how they've been fooled, deceived, hoodwinked, right? It, it does astonish me. So I really relate to what he's saying. And he's promising Baruch, you know what? I'm going to let you see it, okay? He got to see it in a visionary form, right? He got to see it in them being taken captive, right? But history repeats and we're at another time period like this. I'm hoping and praying that y'all allows me to see it through to the end, right? I want to be here for the whole thing. No matter what happens, I want to see it through. I want to know, I want to be here and I want to be a part, okay? No matter what that means, okay? All right, so he said, you shall therefore assuredly be preserved to the consummation of the times that you may be for a testimony, right? That means he was allowed to be a testimony. He was allowed to say, I don't care what's happening. Yah reigns. Yah is on his throne. He is good and his mercy endures forever. That's the testimony, right? So that if ever those prosperous cities say, why has El Elohim brought upon us this retribution? Can't you see this happening? Can't you see everybody as their 401k goes, as their retirement's gone, as their pension funds melt into nothing? Them saying, why? Why has El, why has El Elohim done this to us? Right? You can see it. I can see this happening. So here's what Yah says, say unto them, you and those like you who shall have seen this evil, this is the evil and retribution, which is a coming upon you and upon your people in its destined time that the nations may be thoroughly smitten and then they shall be in anguish. And if they say at that time, for how long you will say to them, ye who have drunk the strained wine. Drink ye also of its dregs. The judgment of the lofty one who has no respect of persons. On this account, he had aforetime no mercy on his own sons, but afflicted them as his enemies because they sinned. Then therefore were they chastened that they might be sanctified, right? He allows this so that perhaps they might turn, right? They might repent. But now, ye peoples and ye nations, ye are guilty because you have always trodden down the earth and used the creation unrighteously. For I have always benefited you and you've always been ungrateful for the beneficence. You know, as I was looking at that, Shalom, Euphrasia, good to see you today. 
it reminded me there there is this this documentary that's on um i've watched it through amazon prime i believe it's even free through there it's um called generation wealth by lauren greenfield and let me give a strong warning it is full of pornographic images because she's trying to tell the story of the corruption that wealth has brought into the nation but you know do not let your children watch watch this and you know you might want to go through fast forward a few a few thoughts okay um, so it is an extremely graphic portrayal, including a look at pornography, which I have to warn people about. The film is about the degeneration of society due to wealth and the pursuit of wealth of the 1980s and 1990s. You know, this is when I, you know, grew up. Okay. In the documentary, she interviews Paris Cronin, the son of a drummer of REO Speedwagon, um, a guy named Gmo, who was a rapper. Florian Holm, a former hedge fund manager, a discussion takes place that the 1970s was a turning, a turning point in our country when we went off of the gold standard and began printing money like crazy, leading to a policy of zero fiscal responsibility in the nation. Uh, Chris Hedges, a Pulitzer Prize winning author, explains how we shifted in the 1970s to a country that borrowed to support a lifestyle we could no longer afford. We went from an empire of production to an empire of consumption. I think that this is a really important point because as you're seeing, you know, we had become a... We were part of like a geopolitical thing. Everything, you know, was, you know, the global, a global system. And that has drastically changed. You know, this is what we need to understand about what's going on, the importance of what's going on between Russia and NATO, which they're saying Russia and, you know, the Ukraine, but it's Russia and NATO, right? This is a banker's war. All wars are banker's wars. Okay, so this is what's happening. And now we are becoming much more nationalistic. You know, you see Russia cutting off things, us blowing up the pipeline, you know, all kinds of things going on like that. Well, it's going to separate countries to have to be self-sufficient. We don't have the capacity in this country to be self-sufficient anymore. We have been set up. We have been duped. Everything is sent overseas. It, it's wild. I was listening to a report by Mike Adams and he was talking about, you know, he was looking into what goes into the making of a backpack. Right. And it looked like 27 nations were involved in the making of a backpack. Like, you know, here's one and then it shipped here and then it shipped here so that the this can be sewn and this can have a backpack. Right. Imagine, I mean, that's just outrageous. And we make very little here. You know, we are not self-sufficient within our nation any longer. We are totally dependent on other nations. And, and this is when this happens. Can you imagine the upset? We're going to have to be people that are people of shalom, people that have a Torah of kindness in our hearts we're going to have to be very sharp in our discernment to know who we're dealing with, who Yah is sending for us to help, and who Yah, who is coming at us 
as as a representative of the enemy. We're going to really have to have sharp discernment on this. I can feel it. Okay. So just a little bit more on this article. She had brought into focus in this documentary she did, this uh, this Lauren Greenfield. She brings into focus the shift in the American dream from the family and a nice home to fame and fortune. And isn't that exactly what happened? Leaving behind the values of hard work, frugality, and discretion that had defined the values of the previous generation. Okay. You know, that's exactly what's happened. All right. I think I had just a little bit more scripture. I did. So I'm going to, I'm going to end this with this little bit of scripture. All right. Let me add that to the screen so you guys can see it too. So we were just looking at this one out of Baruch, right? Where he's talking about you're going to, you've drank the, the strained wine. You enjoyed it. It was smooth. It was nice. It went down. It was, you know, just perfect, right? He said, now you're going to drink the dregs, okay? You're going to dr drink the junk that was at the bottom that you tried to, what you tried to strain out. Now you're about to partake of that, right? So then I went on to Isaiah 51. I saw kind of a connection in these scriptures that I'm about to share with you. I saw the connection to this one out of 2 Baruch 13. Okay. Hopefully you can see the connection to Isaiah 51, starting in verse 17. Awake, awake, stand up, O Yerushalayim, which have drunk at the hand of Yahweh the cup of his fury. You've drunken the dregs of the cup of the trembling and wrung them out. See, this to me is the difference between where the, the majority of the people were taken into captivity during Baruch's time and now the remnant at this time, right? Okay, he's telling this remnant, the remnant that has an ear to hear him in this day, awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which have drunk at the hand of Yahweh the cup of his fury. You've drunken the dregs of the cup of trembling and wrung them out. There's none to guide her among all the sons whom she has brought forth. Neither is there any that takes her by the hand of all the sons that she has brought up. These two things are come unto you. Who shall be sorry for you? Desolation and destruction and the famine and the sword. By whom shall I comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets as a wild bull in a net. I see that bull of Wall Street right there, right? That's just the bull of Ephraim. As a wild bull in a net. And that's what they've thrown over us. This is a trap. We've been trapped by this thing. They are full of the fury of Yahweh, the rebuke of your Elohim. Therefore, hear now this, you afflicted and drunken, but not with wine. Thus says your Adonai Yahweh and your Elohim that pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, even the dregs of the cup of my fury. You shall no more drink it again. This is our promise, right? But I will put it into the hand of them that afflict you. I can't wait to see how he's going to turn the tables on this thing. I mean, they have some evil plans at us, but Yah says that he's going to take what they planned for us, right? 
and he's going to afflict them with it, right? But I will put it into the hand of them that afflict you, which have said to your soul, bow down that we may go over. And you have laid your body as the ground and as the street to them that went over. Wow. Isn't that, doesn't that feel like what's happened? We've been trampled on, you know, they take away the ability to, to save and build up a heritage for our children. All right. Then going over to Isaiah 57, starting in verse 14, and she'll say, cast ye up, cast ye up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble Ruach to revive the Ruach of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be wroth for the Ruach should fail before me and the souls which I have made for the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth, right? He hates that covetousness and I smote him. I hid me and was wroth and he went on frowardly in the way of his heart, right? Just headlong into destruction. I have, I'm in Isaiah 57, 18. I have seen his ways and I will heal him. I will lead him also and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, Peace to him that is far off and to him that is near, says Yahweh, and I will heal him. But the wicked, okay, here's the distinction, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose water cast up mire and dirt. It's not drinkable, pure water. It's not the, the water from the mountaintops, right? That's, that's the water that's in the seas, the restless masses of humanity. It's not fit for consumption. Okay, until Yah takes it up through the water table and he evaporates it with the sun and then releases it back on top of the mountains with snow and rain. And then it filters down and it's, you know, drinkable in the streams of living water again. That's how this works. Right. But by the time it flows down to the oceans, it's become troubled. It's become muddy. Right. It's mire. It's mire and it's dirt. Okay, so he says, there's no place as my Elohim to the wicked. All right. And then the last scripture, Psalm 75, 8. For in the hand of Yahweh, there is a cup and the wine is red. It's full of mixture and he pours out of the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. Instead of his people having to drink them this time. It's going to be the wicked. Yeah. All right. Well, I am so glad that you guys join me. You know, Ren, I love this. We will be throwing the fisherman's net. Absolutely. Absolutely. Betty is saying, keep praying. Yours will be done. And let's all see it to the end. Praying for you and you pray for me. Absolutely. And, and I want you guys to know. I pray before I come on, I pray for everyone who's going to be listening. I pray for everyone who's a part of our Heart of the Tribe Fellowship. I know that James and Lee do the same all the time. Robert's doing the same. We're praying for you guys. We love you guys. We're so grateful to you. 
And I love this, Sherry. Yep, he's going to make us fishers of men. Let's just keep holding each other up. Let's walk in strength. Let's enjoy having this fellowship while it's available to us, right? Let's learn all we can. Let's get our faith built up and let's, you know, be girded, gird our loins with truth that we may be able to walk with our feet shod with the gospel of peace. We've got our helmet of salvation on. We've got our breastplate of, of um, faith and our shield of righteousness. His glory goes behind us and that shield is before us. And he is here to help us. He's on our side. He, he wants us to be successful in him. So I thank you guys for joining me. And I hope you'll, um, I don't even know what we've got going on tomorrow. I know tomorrow James is bringing um, uh, Mercy Poured Forth. <laughs> I don't even know what all our schedule is at the moment. I know that Lee Carruthers and I, Nurse Lee and I will be back on Thursday is the next time I'll be back on. And um, we're going to be talking about Asher and the skin system. So looking forward to that. Hope you guys will come back and join me then. I hope this has been a blessing to you. May Yahweh keep you and bless you. May he lift his, uh, uh, may he shine his face upon you um, and give you of his peace and of, of his shalom. And uh, may you feel his presence all around you in your home and your heart and your peace level. Okay. I love this, Judy. I'm going to show yours too. May we all stand up shoulder to shoulder for Yahweh. Absolutely. Well said, Judy. Thank you for sharing it. All right. I'm going to end for now and love you guys and hope to see you uh, on Thursday. Alrighty. Shalom. You can see it in the movies and the paper and the TV news. Somebody's army is always on the there's gonna be a battle, the lines have been drawn They got guns and tanks and planes The wells are gone dry and the water is bad And the air is acid rain There's war after war and rumors of war from the east There's a rumbling in the ground and they're talking about